Do you want to boost your career in the engineering industry or make a career move? The online Master of Science in Industrial Engineering at the University of Louisville can expand your career opportunities in just 10 courses. The curriculum offers a broad range of courses across two in-demand focus areas with strong market growth potential, operations research and decision analytics, and logistics and supply chain. Grow your technical engineering skills, as well as business understanding, and prepare to lead a diverse team, all through convenient, on-your-schedule online courses. No GRE required. Lead in engineering. Sign up today at louisville.edu online. This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Hello, and welcome to Problem Solved. I'm Keith Albertson. Our guest today is Karen Ross. She's an artist, a speaker, an author, and lean consultant, coach, and practitioner. She founded her own company, Karen Ross Consulting, and she's one of the founders of the Women in Lean Our Table, a worldwide group of women lean practitioners. She also began the Love and Kindness Project Foundation, a global nonprofit aimed at spreading kindness. Her latest book is The Kind Leader, a practical guide to eliminating fear, creating trust, and leading with kindness. In our discussion, she tells why management efforts to value employees as human beings is vital to process improvement and how creating a culture that engages and motivates a workforce can help leaders navigate the great resignation. Karen, thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you with us on Problem Solved. And Keith, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, our pleasure. Well, we want to start out just kind of introducing you and telling a little bit about your background. You have kind of an interesting path here. You were uh, a full-time stay-at-home mom for many years. You became a a lean consultant and founded your your own uh, company. You've written books about lean and the Toyota way, and now you've written a book and and are, are kind of pointed toward kindness. Uh, Tell us how that path and all those dots connected for you to where you got to uh, talking more about trying to create kind leadership. Well, that's an absolutely great question. And one of the wonderful things that happened after uh, I co-authored Toyota Way to Service Excellence with uh, Jeff Liker is that I got asked to speak in many, many places. And I really traveled the world, went something somewhere different in the world every week. And one of the things that I saw as I was traveling was I saw a lot of unkindness. And, you know, we've had a lot of uh, stories on the news about people who are behaving badly on airplanes now. The truth is that was actually all happening before. And I was in first class once and saw a passenger punch a flight attendant. And I saw all kinds of just really unkind things. And I'm actually the kind of person that when I see a problem, I think somebody should do something about the problem. And the someone is me. And so I thought, well, what could I do? And actually, I have an art background. So I don't come to the world of business through business school. I come to it uh, through a master's degree in sculpture. And I thought, you know, I could design 
some little buttons, which I did. So I designed this little button with a green background and a red heart on it. And while I was traveling, when I saw people who were actually acting kindly, like maybe someone dropped their scarf in the airport and someone else picked it up and handed it to them, I would run over to the person who did the kindness. I would say, hi, thank you for your kindness. Can I give you this little button and this little slip of paper that says plant kindness, grow love, and thank you for kindness. And the most amazing thing happened. People hugged me. People said, can I take a selfie with you to send to my kids? They said, nobody's ever recognized us for being kind before. And I thought, isn't that interesting? And, you know, in Toyota Way and Lean, we talk so much about respect for people, right? We have the two pillars of continuous, we have continuous improvement and respect for people. And we talk a lot about principles, practices, and tools for improvement. But how often do we really say what's in the respect for people part? What does treating people with respect really mean? Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, kindness is actually the underlying basis of respect for people. So I started working on kindness as well. And uh, it's really led to a whole foundation called the Love and Kindness Project Foundation. And my latest book, The Kind Leader, A Practical Guide to Eliminating Fear, Creating Trust and Leading with Kindness. And, and it does all connect because obviously our audience is industrial and systems engineers who work on process improvement. But as we hear so often from the experts and the authors for our magazine, other podcast folks, you can't get to process improvement if you don't have buy-in from your employees and you're not going to get them to buy in if you don't value them with kindness. So it does really all connect in, in trying to get that lean and, and those kind of ideas uh, implemented. Isn't that right? It absolutely does. And I'm going to give you a quick example about this and how we can do something with kindness and without kindness. So one of the things we always like to say in lean is when we're going to work on a process and help other people work on a process that we should go and see. Right. We should go to the place where the work is being done. Maybe we're going to do a time study to understand the work better. Well, I was uh, in a environment where people went to do a time study, but they never told the people who they were going to study the process and do a time study, the people who actually did the work, why they were coming, why they were going to do the time study. So, of course, when the uh, industrial engineers with the best of intentions to help people turned up to do the time study, the people were extremely suspicious and unhappy. They're like, why are you here watching me? Yeah. Right. Are you looking for something that I'm doing wrong? And the poor industrial engineers who were there to do the work, when they realized that the people were suspicious of them and, uh, you know, unhappy they were there, they felt terrible. And they certainly didn't intend to treat anybody unkindly, but the people who were there felt they were being treated unkindly. And then, of course, if you feel like you're being treated unkindly, you don't really want to cooperate, do you? Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Other way we can do this, explain to people why we're going to be there, how we're going to help. I work for, with one organization now and uh, their continuous improvement department is called the helpful department. People know <laughs> if they have a problem, call and help is going to come. And when we approach 
the people that were going to do that time study with were going to help make the improvement with kindness. Mm-hmm. Chances are those people are going to be appreciative of the help and they're going to show us what the problems are. Yeah. And getting that participation is important, too. So, um, well, as you as you wrote the book and, and describe, I mean, kindness in some ways is kind of intuitive. We all kind of know it when we see it. But what are some of the ways that kind leadership may show itself that we may not be aware of? What, what, what are some of the traits that you look for in a kind leader that is going to lead to that kind of um, cooperation from the workforce? Okay, that is a great question. And one of the things I want to actually start out by saying is that, first of all, I don't think there's anybody who would actually describe themselves as unkind or any leader who would describe themselves as unkind. People in general, we see ourselves as kind. And the reason we see ourselves as kind is that the models that we've been given of leadership, either when we've gone to school, we've learned leadership in an MBA program, or the leaders that we've worked for in a variety of organizations. Those are the models of leaderships and the way leadership and the way we think being kind is. So I don't actually automatically assume that any leader or person knows how to be deliberately kind. So people act how they act and how they know. For leaders, I would say that to be deliberately kind, it's really important that you get to know your people as people, as human beings, right? Every person who comes to work in an organization, they're a human being who wants to do well. They want to contribute to the success of the organization. They don't just come to work because they want to make a paycheck. They come to work because they actually want to make a difference for customers and the organization. And often as leaders, we're so focused on the ends, the results. We need to make this deadline. We need to, uh, you know, reach this level of profit. We need to return uh, these dividends to shareholders. And we're so focused on the ends, the things. We forget that the people who are responsible Mm -hmm. (laughs) are going to create those ends are human beings. Yeah. And and that's the irony, because I think a lot of us have had leaders or managers that we thought didn't act the way we liked. And then yet sometimes it's easy to lapse into that yourself. I've I'd managed people in my former lifetime um, and didn't have a lot of formal training. So a lot of times it's just what you pick up as you as you learn by trial and error. It's but it's easy to fall into bad habits. isn't it? I mean, a lot of us came up uh, in, in the workforce years ago when the model for leadership was the old military football coach, be tough and be tough with your people and that kind of thing, you know, as you said, to get the results. But you get better results if you treat your people right. I mean, how do we fall into that sort of behavior without being aware of it? We've got to really be conscious about how we're doing this, don't we? Yes. And I think what you're saying is we need to be conscious is really, really important because we are all the product of a variety of kind of systems. Right. We're the product of our family system, we're the product of our educational system, we're the product of 
some kind of religious system, we're the product of a political system. And I think uh, you and I, we probably remember that old cartoon. When I was growing up, uh, the boss yells at the worker, the worker goes home and yells at their spouse, the spouse goes home and yells at the child, the child kicks the dog, right? Right. But as I was talking about this to uh, one of the uh, leaders that I was interviewing for the book, she said to me, she said, it doesn't end there, you know. She said, what happens is that child goes to school the next day and bullies the kid at school, the other kids Mm -hmm. at school. Then that child grows up and becomes that leader who shouts at their employee and Mm -hmm. we start the cycle again. So Mm -hmm. unkind leadership, when we're not conscious of the systems that we are a product of and the leadership models that we've been taught either unconsciously or consciously, then when we're, when we just continuously Mm -hmm. act in those ways ourselves, which generates, and it's just really what I call a vicious circle of fear, because it's that horrible finger of fear pointing at you. Just generationally cycles through. So kind leadership actually, to my mind, is what breaks that cycle. Mm -hmm. We have to change the system. We have to change the system because we're all systems thinkers here. We all know in order to change a system, if you want a different output, you have to put a different input in, right? right? If we keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result, what's that the definition of? Mm-hmm. And this is not something you necessarily learn in management school or, or you know, it, it's, it's not something that is in a textbook. It's something you have to kind of know as you become a manager and a leader and, and practice it. Right. I mean, what are the ways that you can sort of snap yourself into that mode and stay conscious of it? Right. And that's a really, really good question. So the first thing. I would suggest is that everybody take a piece of paper and pencil and sit down and write down what, how, how did I learn about leadership? What are my unconscious and conscious systems that taught me about leadership? Now, beside that, write down what, what actions do I take based on those, those systems? So you gave a great one, right? Do I bark orders at people because I was taught to bark orders at people so they'll do things? Now you see what actions you are taking that can be perceived as others by unkind, as unkind, because unkindness and kindness focuses on others. Mm -hmm. So once you said, well, barking orders at people isn't very kind, you can now pause and listen to yourself. You can say today, I'm going to become conscious of when I'm speaking to others, am I barking in order at them? When you find yourself barking in order at them, because you're going to say to them and to yourself, time out, time out. You can make the time out signal. I love it. Right. Time out, time out. Okay. Today, I am working on not barking orders at you. And I've noticed that I'm barking orders at you. So I'm going to reset and I'm going to say this in a different way. And I'm going to say, Keith, 
Could you please have that report to me by tomorrow? Do you think that would work? Instead of just saying, hey, Keith, I better see that report on my desk right. by 9 a.m. It's all self-awareness, right? It's just being able to step outside yourself and see how you treat other people, which applies in so many areas of life. Absolutely. And, you know, some people might say, hey, I can't be in front of my employees and say, time out. I'm going to do something differently. And I'm actually going to question someone in a leadership role about why they think that they couldn't possibly do that. Because actually, nobody is perfect. Team members are going to mis- make mistakes and act in ways that, you know, aren't kind or that they're uh, not happy with either. And now you're giving them a model by your leadership. You're giving them a model mm-hmm. of what to do when they find themselves acting in a way that isn't the kindest. And the wonderful thing is, it's not just going to stay at work. What you teach people at work as a leader, they're going to take home. So now instead of us having the old cartoon where someone is barked orders at work Mm -hmm. and they go home and bark orders, you've now taught them when they go home, they could say to their partner or spouse, hi, do you think that uh, we could have dinner by 6.30 tonight because I have to go out uh, somewhere? Could you please do that? It's going to spread everywhere else as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as mentioned earlier, people on airplanes and grocery stores and certainly here in Atlanta traffic, there's a lot of unkindness there. So the more we could spread that, the better. Are you ready to take your engineering career to the next level? Earning a master's in industrial engineering from the University of Louisville can strengthen your leadership skills and open new career opportunities in just 10 courses. In UofL's fully online program, you can take just one course at a time, whenever it's most convenient to you, making it easier to balance life and education. Work with the MSIE department to devise a plan of study that fits your educational needs and time frame. And there's no GRE required. Make your next career move with this online program at louisville.edu slash online. We talked about how to get employees bought into process improvement and how, you know, you're going to get better results if you have happy, motivated, valued employees. But the other aspect of it, you mentioned this recently in one of your uh, social media videos, is what we're calling the great resignation. Uh, We've had, uh, I I think some of the stats you noted uh, that I've seen, we've had about 50 million people in the U.S. uh, leave their jobs in the last year. Uh, 4.3 million just, uh, I think, since the start of this year. a lot of folks, and of course, the pandemic was sort of the genesis of this, but they've sort of taken uh, stock of where they are in their career. And if they don't feel valued, they're finding other places to go. And there are some employers that are having trouble filling jobs. I mean, this is important to keep good, experienced people working for you. you this is not just a, a, a something just to be nice. This is something that benefits the business, right? Yes, you are absolutely correct. And there's two things. First of all, there's a difference between kind and nice. 
So the first thing is nice is usually focused on us. We don't want to do something that's going to make us uncomfortable or have a difficult discussion. So we might just say, okay, kind means we're really thinking about what that positive outcome is for some someone else. And this is super important to this idea of the great resignation, because I think during the pandemic, many people, and this is of all ages, have really had an opportunity to reevaluate what's important to them. And when you think about it, I think a lot of us have not been in the situation where suddenly we could become ill or die, or we've had a relative or some close friend that we know who has suddenly fallen ill and passed away. And I think it made a lot of us think differently about time. And none of us knows how much time we have here. And the truth is, every second of our time here is precious. And as adults, most of us spend most of that precious time at work. And if we're going to spend most of our precious time at work, do you want to spend that time, which you are never, ever going to get back? Do you want to spend that time in an environment where somebody is going to be actively unkind to you or somebody is not actually going to be thinking about you? They're only going to be thinking about shareholder results. That's things. We manage things. We lead people. Are you willing to spend the precious time of your life with someone who comes and shouts at you or conversely with someone who a leader who actually you never see? Because that's really prevalent, too. So actually, in the Kind Leader book, one of the studies that I reference is a study that was done with United States and Canadian workers, and it asked people to talk about what the optimal amount of time that their leader should connect with them. And optimal meaning what would be best for their development, what would be best for them to innovate and be creative, to actually have clarity on the goals of the expectation and expectations of the organization so they could move forward. And then they measured, well, how much time do leaders really spend connecting with their people? So on average, they found leaders spend about 60 minutes a week. So 12 minutes a day. Think about that. You might be your leader for 12 minutes a day, and that might not be face to face, right? This took into account all of the, you know, might be in a meeting, might be in an email. What employees said that the optimal amount of time for them to spend with their leader so that they could actually learn and grow and develop as a person and as an employee so that they could actually do their work in a way that served customers the best so they could innovate and create was one hour a day, not one hour a week. Right. Right. The meeting should last 12 minutes (laughs) (laughs) because they're the ones that go for an hour. So I think we got it backwards there. We do. And people want their leaders to know who they are as people. I mean, I can't tell you, I've worked in organizations which were large organizations and I walked down the hall and I saw senior leaders. Do you think they knew my name? Absolutely not. Not only did they not know my name, they didn't look at me. Do you think they knew my spouse or partner's name, that I had uh, a dog and cat office coworker? Do you think they knew any of those things? No, people are not willing to give that precious time of their lives for organizations and leaders who actually do not care about them as the fabulous human beings 
that each of them is. And as you touched on, too, this has been a, a, a stressful couple of years that certainly the Great Resignation is a part of that. But we've all gone through so much the last few years with the pandemic, with with uh, economic and other stressors. And, and so many people are feeling stressed out in so many aspects of their lives now. All that carries over to work. So having a workplace that can at least not add to that as opposed to, you know, uh, relieving it even. Um, that's really important. You mentioned, you know, leaders should be able to uh, and be more willing to check in with their employees more, I mean, particularly with a lot of folks working remotely where they may not be face to face as often. That's that's really important just to have that connection, isn't it? Absolutely. And I specifically use the word check in, check in with people. We check in with people and we check on results. Right. And. It's super important to check in with people at the beginning of the pandemic. I talked to some people and I asked them, well, how often uh, are you seeing, you know, your manager? And they said, oh, like maybe I didn't hear or see them for two weeks or three weeks. And I thought, oh, my goodness, how would you feel as a human being if you didn't see your leader or (laughs) manager? Mm -hmm. If you're upset or your spouse is upset or your partner is upset or your child is upset, don't we check in with people more frequently? If they're ill, don't we check in more frequently? Under stressful situations, don't we check in with people we care about more frequently? If you, as a leader, don't check in with your people, how are you today? Not what are you doing today? How are you doing today? How are they possibly going to feel? that you care about them as a person. And if they feel you don't care about them as a person, why would they possibly give the precious time of their lives Mm -hmm. to your organization? Why would they do that? We went through some of this during the pandemic. How much can we blame to some degree all the electronic connections we have that maybe have robbed us of some of our more personal connections? There have been a lot of people having to meet remotely and on Zoom during the pandemic. But even beyond that, you know, that email communications and text have sometimes taken over just talking to people face to face. I mean, how much of that does factor into this disconnection maybe that some leaders have had with their workers? You know, I I I I am not one who's going to <laughs> electronics. I actually live on video chat myself and I did long so long before the pandemic and I think as human beings it's again this idea of check-in and leadership for me the last resort I use to communicate with anybody is email or text and the reason I do that especially if there's a leadership aspect to it is that now we only have words on a page right and so much of communication think about it is nonverbal is body language And then it's also tone of voice. So if I can't be in person with someone, video chat is going to be absolutely the next best thing. And there are so many people now. I'm just in the habit now. If I pick up my phone and I want to ask someone a question, I don't send them an email. I don't send them a text. I press the FaceTime button. (laughs) We can see each other. And in a way, for people who are in different parts of the globe, That's made connection and being able to check in with people so much easier. Mm -hmm. But it's also made it easier to say, well, I don't actually need to check in with someone 
because I sent them an email or I sent them a text. But if you're a leader, you can't hear someone's tone of voice behind the answer. They could just send you back yes, but you're not hearing whether they're saying yes in a happy way or yes through clenched teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Email's really bad about that. I, I agree. So it's yeah. all a matter of how you use it though, right? I mean, it, uh, you can, you can use, as you mentioned, a video chat and use it as a, as a way to connect, as opposed to stay distant. It's, 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 it's how you apply these tools, right? Absolutely. My, my parents live in Canada and I live near Chicago and they're in their late eighties and I haven't been able to visit them for two years. And if I had not been able to teach them how to use zoom, can you imagine the disconnect? Yeah. So the, 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 <laughs> the thing is we need to use that connection and we need to think that we need to connect with people far more frequently than we think they do. And this is to me, again, another really interesting part that ties us back to, to lean in this idea of respect for people. So I, a lot of people, and there's a lot of leadership literature out there that says hire good people and leave them alone to get their work done. And I actually did my own personal study of this. And I said to, to people in many different organizations, how do you know when your leader trusts you? Like, what would you, well, how, how, how do you know that? And a lot of people would say, I know when my leader trusts me because they leave me alone to get my work done. Hmm. But think about it. Respect for people means as leaders, we're in the lean ter in terms, we're going to see. We're helping people learn to do more than they ever thought they could do, be more than they ever thought they could be through their work. We're going to see. We're <laughs> We're there mm -hmm. in the Gemba, the place the work is being done. We're helping people. It's actually the opposite of leave people alone to get their work done. You know, if you put something in your fridge and you buy it and you leave it in the back of your fridge and you don't remember about it and go, don't go and check in with it for two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, what's going to happen? Mm. Mm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know how we got this idea that respecting people was leaving them alone. Respecting people is actually checking in with them. Respecting people is listening to the problems that they're having and understanding that the problems that they're having are the problems that they're having, whether you want them to be Probably. having Probably because it's easier. I mean, when sometimes leaders, I think, just take the easy road, don't they? It's easier just to, to give people a desk and a phone and a computer and leave them alone because it doesn't require the same amount of effort. You've got to put time and effort into this. Right. And again, it goes back to the ends. If we as leaders think that our job is to focus on the ends and the results, make sure that the profitability is where it should be. Make sure that, uh, you know, the shareholders get what they need. We're not focusing on the means. The fabulous people who are giving us the precious time of their lives, yeah. we're not checking in with them. Remember, again, leading has to do with people. We mm -hmm. lead people. We manage things. People 
are not things. And I think we as leaders, you know, a lot of people now, if they're if, if you're not used to your leader coming to see you or checking in with you and your leader suddenly turns up in your space like those very nice industrial engineers who turned up to do mm-hmm. a time study. If you don't see that person and you don't know them as a person, you might think because we all have negativity bias as part of our human makeup, you might think, oh my goodness, why is this person here? What have I done wrong? Why are they coming to see me? Or why did they call me to their office? Maybe then you think, oh my goodness, I got called to the principal's office. Mm-hmm. You actually <laughs> see your leader all the time and you know them as a person. It builds trust. And when we have trust in someone and we trust that our leader has our best interests at heart, actually, we're not going to be afraid of that leader. We're going to welcome their thoughts. We're going to welcome that connection. We're going to bring up a problem to them before that problem gets to our customer. Right. If we feel like we're being treated unkindly or unfairly or that someone else is being treated unkindly or unfairly, we're more likely to actually say something to our leaders Mm -hmm. and ask for help versus saying, this is a place with a toxic work environment and I'm just not going to work here. I'm going to go and work for someone else. Yeah. And in toxic work environments, there are a lot of quiet people who just aren't willing to say anything. Uh, in, in process improvement, it's referred to as root cause. Don't don't just look at the end result. Look at where it starts and fix it at the beginning. And I think that all plays into uh, what we talked about in the beginning, how this works in improving everything you do as a process. Um, and, and what about... Uh, some of these workers that have left their jobs in the great resignation, or maybe some um, graduates coming out of school with an ISC degree. What is your advice to them as they start looking for work to try and find a place where there is kind leadership? What kind of tips should they have as they begin their process of a job search to find some place where they will feel valued? Okay, this is super, super, super important. And I'm so glad you've asked it. First of all, all of us really need to think about what is it that in life as human beings are our values. I'm not going to use the word what we value. What are our values? One of my values is kindness. I expect to treat people kindly and I expect to be treated with kindness. I value a multiplicity of purposes, of perspectives. So I like to be in a diverse environment with lots of different kinds of people. You need to think about what your values are as a person, honesty, integrity, trust, whatever those are. And you need to remember that when you're looking for a job, you need to find a match between your values and the values of the organization. The job interview is not just for the organization to say, oh, this is the degree you have. This is the experience you have. These are the uh, hard skills that you have. Right. You have to interview the organization just as much. You have to ask them questions like, "Mm, can you tell me about a time that an employee made a mistake? And how you as a leader handled that mistake, because none of us is perfect. We're all going to make a mistake. And then you need to listen to the answer and see. Does that answer fit my 
fit my values. And then you need to say to the company and the person organizing you, can you tell me some of your company's weaknesses and what are you to improve them? Why is it only that the person interviewing us gets to say, well, what is your greatest weakness and what are you doing about it? Yeah. We and, act- it's, and it's the employees right now that, uh, you know, it's it's a, a market that favors them because it's the employer that is looking to fill these jobs. And so they can be a little bit uh, uh, more discriminating in how they select where they work. And then that's 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 a good point you make. It turned the interview around. Turn the interview around. And remember that if you go to work for an organization whose values don't match your values, you might be happy with your pay there for a little while. But in the end, what you're going to feel like is that you're working in a toxic environment because there's not a values match. That's what it's going to feel like for you. And the, pre- the time of your life is precious. Do not waste it. Do not spend it working where there is a mismatch of values, working where there's unkindness. Don't do it. And a lot of people are realizing that now and and making that decision. And do you see this continuing too? Is this going to the great resignation going to be a long term thing where people are going to kind of put a different um, uh, priorities as to what they look for in a workplace as opposed to something that's just pandemic driven. I mean, this, this seems like it's something that uh, is either generational or at least maybe a long-term workplace uh, kind of trend where, where folks are going to be more uh, willing to shop themselves around as opposed to just take the first thing that's there and, and allow themselves, as you say, to be in a job that that doesn't fit their needs. I actually think that this is going to be a system changer, a system changer for all of us. I have a 36 year old, a 30 year old son and a 26 year old daughter, right? So they're in the more beginning parts of their career. So I'm seeing this all from their point of view as well. And I think People who are looking for jobs are now looking for a match in values and organizations are slower to understand that, okay, yes, sometimes we can give people ping pong tables and uh, more free food and (laughs) a variety of things, but that only works for so long that we need to change our values. So, Every company has values on the wall. Most of them have the word integrity in them. Most of them have the word honesty. Most of them have the word we are, people are our biggest asset. We treat people with respect. I think what's going to have to happen is that those companies are going to have to change their policies and actually create, just like we have a dress code guide for many places, a behavior code guide for Mm -hmm. what do those values mean? Okay. Those values mean we don't shout at people. Those values mean that when uh, we're in a meeting with our employees, we're not actually just looking at our phone or looking at the computer. So that behavior guide is to show that we check in with people on a daily basis. 
So I think that there's going to be a system change because there's new inputs being put into the system by the workers, right? Mm-hmm. And that's going to change in output for organizations. So I think organizations are going to have to uh, have to catch up to that. Yeah. I think we're going to continue to see this. Yeah. Well, maybe somewhere down the road in a job evaluation, there'll be a whole category for kindness that we can include both for for leaders and workers and being kind to each other. So um, tell me a little bit about the Love and Kindness Project Foundation that you are a part of. What are the sort of the the things you do to help spread this idea around? I know you've got um, a lot of different uh, aspects where you view social media and other platform. Just tell me a little bit about uh, how these ideas are are being put out there by you and the folks you work with. Sure, absolutely. Um, As I traveled the world, giving out these buttons, probably after three years, we decided, well, a group of friends of mine and I got together and we said, let's actually just turn this into a foundation. So we're a registered 501c3 public charity. And our mission is to spread kindness person to person around the world. And while many organizations are fundraising organizations, we're actually a kindness raising organization. So anybody can go on our website, order any amount of these love and kindness buttons for them to give out to recognize kindness in their organization for free because kindness is free. And we have a variety of different kinds of projects that um, we actually create and do, and also that we uh, fund for other people who want to do creative projects. So last year, we had a monthly kindness challenge. So if you go to our website, you can um, download for each month a different, you know, 30 days of kindness to animals, 30 days of workplace kindness there. (laughs) So we did a whole, and then this year, our project is called Stories of Kindness, and you can go and download just a little form that you can hand out to employees or use at your family, again, to help you notice and write down stories of kindness that you see so we can focus on kindness. Um, You'll find many different languages on our website uh, because kindness is a universal human characteristic and comes in all kinds of languages and all different kinds of resources that you can use to help people spread kindness in your organization and also um, at home and in the community. That's great. The guru of kindness. We love that. Um, (laughs) What's your website? We'll put your website out there. How how can people find it? Oh, thank you. It's www.loveandkindnessproject.org. Okay. That's pretty easy to remember. And and your book, The Kind Leader, is available at uh, all all book outlets and certainly uh, be looking for that. And You've written for us in ISC Magazine before, too, and we appreciate that. We look forward to uh, your future contributions uh, and certainly on this topic and others. Anything else you'd like to share with our audience, Karen, while, before we wrap it up? Well, there's one thing, actually, and it's 
another way that uh, all of my lean work and my kindness work tie together. So I said Love and Kindness Project Foundation is a kindness raising organization. So you might wonder, well, how do we fund giving uh, out people buttons and everything for free? So all of the royalties that I receive from all of the books that I've uh, written and published, and there are six of them, including Toyota Way to Service Excellence, and the newest one, The Kind Leader, also How to Coach for Creativity and Service Excellence, and we have some foundation books as well. Um, all of those royalties go directly to fund the foundation. So if you purchase a book, not only are you going to get some good learning and resources, you're also going to make a contribution to the Love and Kindness Project Foundation. Awesome. That's the kind thing to do. So <laughs> thank you. It is. Well, Karen, we appreciate your time so much. We appreciate all you do and for helping to spread kindness in a world that's uh, very much in need of it, workplace and otherwise. So we look forward to, to helping you spread your kindness as we as we go forward. Thank you again. Thank you so much. And thank you for helping me spread kindness is unbelievably appreciated. Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISC podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes, and edited by David Brandt. You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the Institute's website, www.iise.org.